0: This is a headgum podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to No Joke with Bully and Adam on the Headgum Podcast Network, the least topical podcast on the internet. Today's
2: topic was The Last Dance. We hope you enjoy the No Joke Podcast. Okay, welcome back. It is the No Joke Podcast. I am Billy Scafiori. I'm Adam Lustig. And it is episode 220,
1: 220.
2: of the No Joke Podcast. 220 wow, it's Adam, going strong.
1: When you take a step back and really look at it, that's a lot of talking we've been doing.
2: That is that's like, a lot. <laughs> do you think that is that a month? Is that a month of talking?
1: If you just if you just started at episode one and just hit continuous play, would that take a month? I, I think, think it'd be like
2: it's... a week and a half. Right? We're, we're like it's basically like ten yeah. days. All right, cool. Well, yeah. we've done ten full days of podcasting <laughs> in our four years of podcasting. So congratulations
1: to us. The, the four hour begathon really skews the average there. It really, <laughs> sort of t- tips, tips the scale.
2: <laughs> um, but it is now I believe episode ten. Of being in quarantine. Yes, um, I've asked you this past couple of times. Adam, how's everyone doing on your end?
1: We're doing okay, Bill. Uh, we're doing okay, man. Uh, you know, we are. the The baby is sort of like up and so close to walking. So our morning routine has shifted a bit to like instead of me walking him in a stroller, he sort of walks his own ass down the street, which is really <laughs> kind of amazing.
2: Uh, <laughs> Wait, you're saying that like you'll be driving down the street and you'll see your one year old son just <laughs> walking the opposite no, direction? No, no, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just wave to him as though he's a random neighbor. <laughs> uh, no, he just like has a little like walker that he uses to like trek down the street, it's, as opposed to me actually pushing him in a wheeled in
2: carrier. I assume that is carrier. a massive game changer for a first-time Oh, it's amazing. It's great. To, yeah. It's great. I mean, but I imagine it's also, it also comes with a little bit of stress. It's like, uh-oh, here
1: comes independence. Here it fully comes. I mean, right. like here, it totally—we're co- right on the precipice. He's not totally walking autonomously yet, but it's coming, man. David, Dave, but so, we're we're doing yep. okay. We're doing okay, man. How how are you guys? You're you're doing okay. We're doing well.
2: Our one lifeline towards um, entertainment and joy was taken away from us on Sunday, and that was the episode's topic today. And yes, um, exactly, the Last Dance. Um, ESPN yes. and Netflix, The Last Dance, has been a a constant source of comfort. And entertainment, <laughs> and nostalgia, <laughs> yeah. and joy for me for the past five weeks. Uh, um, and you, you, and
1: millions of others. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, as it as it uh, comes to comes to light, Adam, myself, and you included, seem to have oh, no, come wait, around and have learned to love the Bulls or at least Michael Jordan um, in a different light. <sighs>
1: well, I definitely have a new perspective on him. I, I wasn't, to be totally honest with you, I wasn't expecting the documentary to be as illuminating as I actually found it as i actually mm-hmm. found it to be about michael jordan i thought it was going to be a little bit more of like a puff piece for lack of a better word but i did thought th- i did there were some new elements of the michael jordan legacy and just about the way that he kind of comported himself and the sort of i don't know the piece the, the puzzle pieces of that that make up the psychology of michael jordan that i found novel and that i found myself learning for the first time and i I do have a new appreciation for him absolutely
2: was there any sort of like um when you're watching it was there any sort of like in like i did not know that he was dealing with that on the daily or i didn't you know like to me then one of the more enlightening things was the hotel room where he would just become friends with like his five security guards who would just basically be yes Yes. men to him because it was like there was nowhere else for him to go he was too big he was too famous and that just like forced him to shrink himself into these little rooms you think that, like, you know, he'd be out on the town and just being the biggest star in the world, but that really wasn't who he was. And he wasn't even afforded that luxury. He was
1: just too famous. Absolutely. It, it was really, I mean, like, I feel like. It would almost have the feeling, like in moments, it had the feeling of almost like a rock doc, like in Mm -hmm. the way, like it was like the bulls leaving the hotel, throngs of fans all over the Mm -hmm. world swarming the tour bus. Like it it did feel like you were watching almost like a Michael Jackson or Madonna documentary at certain points. Like his, it's hard. It is hard to overstate, especially in like this now in 2020. It is kind of hard to overstate how singularly famous I guess he was, which was definitely like. Definitely, like, sort of, yeah, recontextualize, like you're saying. It's like, damn, he was too, almost too famous. And <laughs> it's, hard to he like too.
2: Clock, it's hard to really, like, properly clock fame in 1998. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, but, you know, with social media, it's like, it feels like well-tread territory. But, you know, like, you can really be like, he has 54,000 followers. She has 6.2 <laughs> yeah. million followers. And you're like, that's exactly right. how famous they are but he somehow transcended all of that and it was just he was everywhere without the social media without any sort of like this is how he was truly just like the icon it was just spectacular to watch
1: global I mean like purely and surely global it was it was really amazing it was really cool and I know that this is something that we've talked about before but like sort of highlighting the fact that the dream team the 1992 Olympic team that was like chock full of NBA superstars including of course prominently Michael Jordan how like that just had this like essentially decade long ripple effect that we're still experiencing now in terms of like the globalization of basketball and like now there's like half of the nba is is half the players in the NBA are from foreign countries and and played abroad and how just Mm -hmm. in how like generationally influential basically just michael jordan Was right. for culture. It's crazy. I mean, it's completely crazy. I mean, he shifted global economies for decades, basically, Fact. just by being that that good at dunking. Fact. Um, I know. It's like when people compare
2: the LeBrons to the Kobe's to the Michael Jordans. It's like it really feels like the one thing that you can't overlook is that like Michael made a business for them oh, yeah. to follow. You know, oh, completely, like, completely. He he had to be the one. He had to be the sacrificial lamb of. Kind of like take like having to hide in a hotel room because he gained such global fame. Yes. You know that LeBron and Kobe could mimic that. There was no there was no version of that before Mike, and that's a hard thing to wrap your head around.
1: It, it was to me. It was like one of the one of the elements of the new appreciation that I've had for him is sort of like piggybacking on exactly what you're saying about how famous he was because while he did have these like hermit-like tendencies out of necessities, he like, like you said, he sort of only really kind of palled around with like the three or four old head ex-Chicago PD security guards that he surrounded himself with. And like, that was his sort of super tight-knit group was sort of like, you know, quote unquote entourage that he sort of palled around with. And he was fairly, I don't know, kept to himself in many ways. But like, he wasn't Shy, what 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 was revelatory? One of the things that was revelatory, he's not like a shy or awkward guy. Like no. he's quite. He's. I thought for the first time he's been so protective of his image, and for the first time, this documentary actually revealed how personable he is, and frankly, how funny and like just his actual his actual personality, not his like mm-hmm. capital M capital J Michael Jordan trademark personality, mm-hmm. which is like you you get the sense. That like his entire career and up until this documentary, you've been seeing like the brand, half brand, half man, Michael mm-hmm. Jordan, hard to tell where the man begins and where the Nike product ends. But I thought that for the for the first time it was like, oh, here he is with a cigar and a glass of whiskey and like a little – let his hair down, no pun intended, and just like a little right. bit looser and it was just obviously way easier to – I don't know, for me as a lifelong Michael Jordan hater to like, li- like him just to see his – a little bit of his humility, a little bit of his personality, his actual truth personality so that was yeah. fun i mean that was truly really fun
2: yeah i think the director and the producers did a great job of like illuminating that this dude is charismatic but, completely. but he just he just couldn't be you know as charismatic probably as we all wanted him to be back simply because fame was too great and he had he had a singular goal it wasn't to become the most famous most charismatic it was to keep winning championships exactly simple simple and plain (laughs) simple and plain another thing that really surprised me and it really wasn't about the state of basketball or anything it was just like wow this was only 22 years ago yeah but but smoking smoking (laughs) (laughs) rule
1: Oh, I know. He was just, like, puffing cigars before and after games casually. Just on like private, On planes. <laughs> I <know>. On planes. <laughs> they
2: were, like, drinking beers and smoking cigars on private planes, and I was just like – Wow, 98 it really feels like a bit of a lifetime ago with indoor smoking rules.
1: Absolutely. And it was also just like, Jordan, I loved the anecdotes and like, like chalk it up to the many things, exactly like what you're saying of like, well, that would never happen today. Or maybe it does, mm. and I'm just naive, but like, I love the anecdotes of him in the finals, in, during the finals, like up all night playing cards with Magic Johnson, like, and just like up all night playing cards in between games to the finals. And maybe I'm being naive and maybe that does still happen. Or maybe like right. some of the old heads in the league, like J.R. Smith still like are out like drinking and playing cards in between games. But I just get the sense that LeBron Just to draw the LeBron Michael comparison, like LeBron plays the game, goes home, eats lean chicken, works out again, and like and then goes right to bed. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, you Uh, might be wrong. You might be wrong. I genuinely
2: like I don't know if he's drinking and smoking up all night, but like I do wonder because I do think that like that is a a recurring theme in a lot of these athletes. It's just like how hard it is to turn off that competitive like spirit yeah. you know like I'm, yeah. I'm listening to all these different podcasts now of like people looking back on it and you even see these guys talking about it in the last dance and it's like none of them have yeah. sacrificed how badly they wanted it there's there's a you know right. there's clear disappointment in all their voices but they recognize that, that that competitive gene in mike is just different it's just like it's oh, just yeah. it's more it's just more effective than theirs
1: and that's what got him <laughs> to six rings so something that somebody said, I was listening to one of these podcasts too. I can't remember which one it was, but someone said something that was sort of hit my ears anew, which is like an element, as you know, and we've talked about this a lot, like, you know, my stance on Michael Jordan, I'm a lifelong Nick fan. He's broken my heart for years and I still boil with essentially simmering rage uh, mm-hmm. at Michael Jordan for a ruining, dashing uh, my childhood dreams. Uh, yep. But that said, uh, <laughs> that said, it was like, someone was like, uh, an argument for him being like truly the greatest basketball player of all time isn't just that like the six known in the NBA finals isn't just like the the sort of laundry list of buzzer beating game winning shots it's that he actively prevented the g- other greatest players of his generation from winning championships it's like mm-hmm. lebron is what like four and eight in the finals, or like four and nine, or something silly like that? You know, but it's not like LeBron. Like Kevin Durant still has a championship. Steph Curry still has a championship. All these other guys, like still or like Kawhi, these guys are still winning rings. Michael Jordan shut out the like yes. the uh, the, enti- the entire rest of the Dream Team basically that's right from winning NBA championships so like in that way i was like okay that is another i guess i haven't really thought about it that way charles barkley carl malone john stockton patrick ewing all the like a an entire generation of truly the greatest players some of the greatest players in history uh Mm -hmm. didn't get rings only because of michael jordan and that is just something that no other player not lebron not anybody can really stake a claim to in that same way
2: and i think that's what's one of the most like um i was talking to marina about it after one episode where it was like it might have in the episode where Mike was asked, do you, like, I don't remember exactly how they phrased the question, but something along the lines of like, are you worried or are you disappointed that you may have sacrificed being liked and being received as nice uh, in the sacrifice of trying to become the greatest player of all time and straight up winning? And like, would you rather, (laughs) would you, would you sacrifice being nice, you know, to win? And I remember looking at Marina and being like, there's only 12 to 24 players in the NBA in the nineties who have video of them jumping up on the scoreboard, spraying champagne on their friends. (laughs) There's only like 12 men. There's only like 18 men who got to experience that. And those 18 (laughs) men played with and for Michael Jordan. Like (laughs) that's the fact of the 90s. And it's like, you can't find video of the Phoenix Suns or the Utah Jazz or any other, the Knicks, you know, like winning an NBA champion because they didn't do it. Like Mike was just that singular champion. (laughs) And it's like, it's so easy to just blow over and be like, well, they won again. But like, they truly won those six. (laughs) It's just super impressive. It,
1: it, It actually, some of the Michael Jordan stuff did remind me of, I don't know how many episodes you and I talked about that book. the art Was it The Art of War? That we talked about. Remember when we you had read no, that book? Uh, the laws uh, the of power, 48 lo- the forty eight laws of power. Exactly, the laws of power, and like there was there is stuff in there that um, is very Jordanesque, and it was like you crush your enemies, like you put out every last ember of their hope, like you d- yep. you do not leave them, like you d- leave them with <laughs> you leave them with yeah. no hope whatsoever. And it just reminded me that, like Michael Jordan, one of his great gifts of many was just like being able to drum up and create. Uh, spite is not quite the right word but just like to create motivation for himself and like to invent slights where they may or may not exist and just Fact. like use that as motivation and just like one of the greatest self-generating spite engines I've ever Yo. seen it's a, like really a miracle really amazing you got to dig deep the way and he was able to do what,
2: Yeah you have to if you're not being slighted in society if no one is treating you wrong then you have to straight up invent it for your own personal gain. <laughs> And Mike's not the only like, one. Mike is not the not. only one. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the Just second the act with another like, very brief story about another basketball player who did the same thing and got equal <laughs> fanfare for it. Um, let's try and go into the first act break right now. Adam, what do you okay. say again? So today, I don't know if we made it explicit, but today we'll be trying to talk about The Last Dance while sneaking in yes. some listeners' voicemails along the way. Um, Adam, was there any song in the series I know that we played Be Like Mike last episode. Um, was there yeah, any we did. song we did. that got you particularly hyped? There was one for me where I was like, well, damn. This is. So it. What
1: was it? What was it?
2: So it's. So it's krs One, Step Into a World.
1: Oh, forget um, it, obviously.
2: This has, like, one of the strongest openings to any hip-hop song with just the soul Ever. a cappella voice singing Step Into a World and then a monster bass drop. Mm. So I don't remember exactly what happened in the moment when this happened, but damn, when Step Into a World by like KRS-One played, it was damn. like this series just gets it. <laughs> yeah. So let's play <laughs> KRS-One's Step is. Into a World right now, and then we'll come back Stick. with more Last Dance and the No Drug Podcast. Step
0: there's no one left <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: For the mill I don't want Yes, yes, y'all You don't stop KRS
1: Back to the No Joke podcast. We are talking "The Last Dance," the Michael Jordan documentary, and that was KRS-One. Step into a world one of the just the thumpiest, bangiest hip hop beats of all time.
2: Yes, thumpy is a very good way of explaining that song. (laughs) That song straight up thumps. It is thumpy. Wow, Um, it's really good. In the first act, I mentioned how uh, Michael Jordan is not the only player to create lies and narratives to motivate themselves. Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal, I might have talked about this on a previous episode, but Shaquille O'Neal famously did this with David Robinson. So David Robinson was admirable. He was straight and narrow. He was coming out of the Navy Academy. Shaquille O'Neal was Shaq. He was coming out yeah. of LSU. <laughs> His sole purpose was to tear down backboards and just become a public <laughs> menace and just wreck yes. it. And he did. Yes. They both did what they were supposed <laughs> to do very successfully. But of yeah. course, there was a, a huge divide in what type of quote unquote man each of these men were. One was straight and narrow and one was here to party. Well, long right. story short. Shaquille O'Neal wanted to destroy David Robinson. He wanted (laughs) to absolutely come in and take the mantle of the best big in the NBA. Yeah, And so uh, Shaquille O'Neal entered the league and started telling reporters that when he was a young boy, like a young teenager, like standing on the sidelines trying to get autographs, David Robinson walked past him. Shaquille O'Neal asked for an autograph and David Robinson slighted him, pushed him away (laughs) and like long story short, said, like, no autographs for you. Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal harbored this uh, memory for the next 10 years and said, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to destroy David Robinson. <laughs> well, fast forward, Shaquille O'Neal is now a rookie in the NBA and he is born ready to destroy David Robinson. And he's telling media willy nilly, about this time when <laughs> David Robinson slighted him when he was a young boy and how he's held on and how he's been pissed about it for ten oh years and gosh. now so he, All right, so then Shaquille O'Neal starts to dominate the league, absolutely start destroying people. A few years later, uh time passes and a reporter goes up to Shaquille O'Neal and they're like, Hey, that story with David Robinson, is that like too good to be true? And Shaq said oh yeah, I just made it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It is far too good to be true. I love that in Shaq's version, David Robinson, not only snubbed him with the autograph, but shoved him out of the way and said, not for you, little boy. (laughs)
2: Listen, You have to to come up with your false motivations, however (laughs) you can. And like, listen, these are NBA players and superstar athletes coming up with these, but I think it's very common for people to psychologically come up with like, Bigger versions of little problems, whether someone slighted them, now you're my enemy, whatever it takes to motivate you to get to where you need to go.
1: I ain't mad. (laughs) No way, no way. Especially in sports, and especially at that level, and especially when you've already—Michael Jordan has won everything there is to win. He's Mm. as rich as God. What does he need? What does he need? It's not like he's like like it's not like putting food on the table for his family is motivating him anymore. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just like he's what he's has five MVPs. He's got five championship rings. He's got five NBA finals. Like what else? You you gotta you gotta sort of like you know, get creative with your motivation. Uh, And he was just a Picasso at it. I mean, and he just like, he was, you know, I mean, he just took it it. harder than anybody else. It was really awesome.
2: Yeah, he he just kept finding absurd levels of motivation, whether they existed or not. Yeah. My question to you, Adam. So this was obviously uh, this 10 part series, this 10 hour series aired during the pandemic while we were all quarantined. And of course, like that's not, ideal for people, but I mean, it did create huge numbers. And this was, I believe ESPN and Netflix most watched, um, docu-series. It was 10 hours long. It was 10 hours long, which feels like a quantum leap from 30 for thirties, which are 30 minutes, 60 minutes or 90 minutes. But I'm wondering if the thirst for long documentaries, um, is now here. Because it's like movies like The Tiger King and, you know, other, you know, just these series that stretch over 10 episodes. And I'm wondering if this is something that you think in sports is going to be a new approach to telling all sorts of stories. Or do you think that Michael Jordan is captivating and interesting enough that this was able to be stretched over 10 episodes?
1: Yeah, I think that, like, Jordan as a test balloon for, like, how long can a sports documentary be? I mean, I think that the other one that happened recently was that O.J. doc, which was amazing, which was that O.J. Simpson documentary, which was also, like, I don't know how long that was, but it felt like it was, like, a week long, but maybe it wasn't. But it was, like, I don't know, five or six hours or something. But I think that if the if the personality is compelling enough uh, i think that you could i mean honestly don't you have an appetite i could take 10 more hours of of 90s balls it's just like and I again watch, maybe i could watch 10 hours oh of making bits of just like <laughs> exactly.
2: exactly i've read the articles of what it took to even get you know this project off the ground yeah. to get mike to greenlight it and like even that like i think ramona Shelburne wrote like kind of this following story of how he did it it was yeah. just so so interesting and so captivating and ironically adam you mentioned that O.J. Simpson documentary. I believe yeah. that, that when that came out, that actually became the tipping point for the people who had like ownership over this footage, this pre-existing footage. And ah. uh, potentially other people who could say yes to be like, wait a minute. Now there is this like appetite for long oh, documentaries. Yeah. Interesting. You know, this is becoming because I think that documentaries were always like, keep it tight. People have like a finite amount of patience um, to learn about something. At least this was yeah. documentary two, three years ago. And right. what this proved was that, and the O.J. Simpson documentary proved is like, we'll watch, you know, if it's juicy oh, enough, we'll just straight up watch.
1: Absolutely juicy. And I do think the context informs it too. Like, of course, no, who could have possibly predicted, uh, you know, pandemic quarantine, but like, we got nowhere to go. <laughs> we got all the time yeah. in the world. Well, exactly. like- yeah. No one, no right. one really has jobs to get back to exactly in the same way. It's just like the circumstances of our television viewing life has definitely changed. And yeah, sure, I'll watch ten hours of. I, I, my my appetite is merely wet. Um, so let me so ask that you is this a good opportunity. opportunity. No, 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 it's fine. Well, I was gonna, I was just gonna ask you because, like, I know you are, of course, grew up a huge Michael Jordan fan, obviously, and are a huge Bulls fan. Was there anything in the documentary that was there a- any other expectations of yours that were subverted, or anybody that came off worse or better than you had sort of? Imagine them to be um, in, in uh, growing up a Bulls fan in the '90s. Did anyone surprise you with their talking headness?
2: Mm, surprise me. I mean, I knew of Michael and Isaiah's um, beef. Uh, with the handshake yeah. after yeah. after the Bulls finally got past Isaiah and the bad and the bad boys and the bad boys walked off. I knew that that existed, yeah. but what I've since learned is I didn't know how many other people disliked Isaiah Thomas. I thought this was a yeah, wild. that was new, yeah, universally. Like he seems to have slighted so many different people across <laughs> the league. Like the yeah. dream, like the dream team. It's kind of like pinned on Mike as uh, saying he kept him right. on the team. And lo- he largely did apparently like say like, I'm not going if Isaiah playing, but like apparently magic had beef with them. Everyone Battery agreed. Beef with yeah. yeah. Newing had beef with him. <laughs> yeah. Pippen clearly wasn't going to like vote for him. And even when John Stockton broke his leg, like two weeks or like four weeks before the Olympics even happened. And it was like, well, shit, now you got to put Isaiah on it. But everyone was so steadfast. They're like, we'll just take the guy with the broken leg instead. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely like, like seeing, seeing them all talk about it was um, that specific thing about Isaiah Thomas was enlightening. but I could just watch a series where Michael Jordan watches an iPad of Things yeah, upset about him. Just like <laughs> yeah. the YouTube video could be called "Mike Reacts," where he just watches <laughs> yeah. videos on an iPad and then just reacts. I could watch that forever. So forever say, so, for, for anyways, hours. It didn't. Nothing was subverted necessarily, but like I was just eliminated. On. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. re-charmed by uh, a man who had charmed me for my first twenty years. So there yeah, was exactly.
1: I, I, um, I walked away with I walked away with such great respect for I always respected Phil Jackson. Always thought he was like uh, obviously like a legendary coach, and like as a Nick fan, like you know he won us you know our one of our only championships. So it's like I have sort of this undying allegiance to Phil Jackson. But what a guy, man! That guy is like he. I don't. I you know it's cliche to say that. I mean, there was some debate in the beginning of the documentary. Would they have won? with Doug Collins, would they have won you know, if Phil Jackson never had showed up, but I don't know it, there's just something so steadfast and so steady about his leadership and something I admire so much about his style of leadership and like yeah. kind of leading from behind and just so grounded. And to give de- like crazy characters like Dennis Rodman, all the emotional rope that they needed to just, I mean, just an immense amount of trust that he had for his players really treated them as peers. And I just really like much, much respect to Phil Jackson and the whole way that he is and the whole way yeah. that he lives. A lot of, yeah. lot of appreciation I have for him.
2: Did you feel for, regarding Jerry Krause, the GM, the often, yeah. bullied, quote unquote, bullied, often picked <laughs> on, um, oh yeah. quite short, quite rotund um, GM <laughs> of the Chicago yeah. Bulls? Did you feel sympathy for him? How did how was how was your Kind of experience of watching the Jerry Krause story play out because it feels like people were of warring minds with him.
1: I did feel sympathy for him. I, I, I mean, I did. I, I mean, like he was just trying to do his best for the Bulls, and then like his the kind of weird paradoxical double bind that he was in was that his best player Michael Jordan was like had all this resentment for him, and like we said, would generate the spite. Like the Tony Kukoc thing was a perfect example. Like Mm. Jerry Krause, it's nineteen ninety three or ninety two or 91 or whatever jerry Krause has the foresight to like look across the pond in europe and like find this tony kukoc guy who like mm-hmm. now we realize was sort of the prototype for what the nba would become the sort of like mm-hmm. slender 610 european god whatever um and he just sort of had the foresight for that uh so he goes over and like signs him like jerry Krause a little bit ahead of his time with that sort of like euro signing michael jordan Scottie pippen just simply resent the fact that Jerry Krause had eyes for anyone else and understandably so and just go to barcelona and just demoralize him and just humiliate him and like just for ha- just for have just for daring to be good enough to attract the attention of Jerry Krause. So it was like, Jerry Krause was always in this weird position of just being like shat on constantly by all the players, especially Michael Jordan, but also being the one to like put these teams together that ultimately won all these titles. So I I did feel sympathy for him. And also, I'm sure he was like a credit-seeking little brat that like oftentimes wanted to like sort of, you know, step in front of the spotlight a little bit. But overwhelmingly, I did feel sympathy more than than sort of like snarky spite for Jerry No doubt.
2: No doubt. It's like if people say that being Michael Jordan's teammate was physically and emotionally difficult, like imagine being his pseudo boss, the person who tells him how he can spend his money, how much money he's allowed. Like, that's going to obviously get under his skin. (laughs) Um, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And then and now finished the series by talking about how every player on the team's market value went up because they won so many championships. You right. know, Steve Kerr just won three championships. Yep. You know, if he hadn't, he'd probably be getting paid a million and a half next season right. by the Bulls. But he right. won three championships. So the Spurs can sign him for like seven million dollars. Uh, everyone's yeah. market value went up. And the series kind of ended with Michael Jordan saying, "We could have won a 7th championship yeah. if they gave all of us one-year deals." Yeah. You know, this guy gets 2 million, this guy gets 2 million, I get 35 million, <laughs> one yeah. more time. Yeah. Do you understand and do you sympathize with the owner's perspective that we don't want to keep stringing these guys along on one-year deals? We want to have, you know, we want to get everyone paid whether it's on our team or not and have some long-term contracts. So Michael's perspective is just keep doing one-year deals and we'll win next year again. And they're saying that's not plausible. Is there one side or the other that you're like, a champion deserves a chance to run it back, or do you understand the perspective of the owners that that this isn't tenable anymore?
1: At the risk of sounding too diplomatic and political, I completely see both sides. Mm-hmm. I I utterly see both sides. I mean, like if you're mm-hmm. if you're a and I think that it's like it it gets at the sort of fundamental difference of like player versus management. I mean, like they have two different priorities essentially. Correct. Uh, like Michael, of course, Michael Jordan is going to say, like, why would you ever break up a three P? Are you cr- like? Are, don't we haven't we earned at At the very least, the right to defend the title until we lose it. And of course, like, yeah, there's a pretty, pretty ironclad, ice, like airtight logic to that. However, I am Jerry Ransor from running a multi-billion dollar organization. I'm not thinking one year at a time. I'm thinking 10 years at a time. And like, I need to think. And I'm also thinking that (laughs) Bill Jackson said
2: he wants to leave. exactly. And is checked out. Every player on this bench deserves three times what they're getting paid right right now. Scottie Pippen is criminally underpaid. It's like very easy to say, like, just bring everyone back. Psychologically, people didn't want to even come back. It's a very loaded, interesting thing where it's like, just like circling back to Jerry Krause, it's such a, it's under so many different magnifying glasses. Where it's yeah. like it's under Mike's magnifying glass, it's under the state of the NBA's, it's under the what his owner wants. It's really just such an unfair position to be put in. Jerry Krause, and, and that also, you can't
1: win. And also, I don't know the, I don't know the act- timeline of it, but wasn't the following season '99? Wasn't that the lockout season? Was yes. Some-
2: so this is a very interesting detail that didn't really get covered, and I understand why. So they win their second people. Yeah. They now go and now no one really has contracts on the team. It's up in flux. And the next season starts in a lockout. So anyone who doesn't have a contract simply doesn't have a contract. No one is playing basketball. That season ends up being like 50 games. It's kind of a season with an asterisk. What doesn't really come to fruition is what happens to Michael Jordan during the lockout. So people are saying, will Mike retire? Will Mike come back? If he comes back, will it be with the Bulls? Well, it turns out that Mike didn't come back and he ended up retiring uh, during the lockout. But why did he retire? Ultimately he retired because he chopped off the tip of his finger with a cigar cutter and he would have been out the whole season Anyway, Is that true? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that, is, that is 100% true. He would not have even been able to play the year after their second Pete because he chopped off the tip of his <laughs> finger with a cigar cutter, and he was literally out for the season. Oh so low-key, he just raises his other hand, waves to the crowd, and says, I'm retiring again. <laughs> So that's just like a fun, quirky detail. That's just like, why don't we just bury that? Let's bury that in the e- Wizards news and all of like the e- the pile of Michael Jordan news we don't like talking about. Let's just put that over there. And
1: then, so, and then I, I did not know that. That is amazing. That is like e- that is really incredible. And then when e- was e- it that he came back with the Wizards? Was that two thousand one? Yeah, I don't want
2: to. Yeah, I don't want to pin on the wall the exact year, but it was definitely the season after the lockout or the following season after that. But l- we can't even shit on those years too bad because he was still dropping 20 a game crazy on fadeaways. Yeah, that's crazy. So my man was still balling in Washington. He wasn't winning six championships there, but he could still put up 20 on anybody. So
1: I, that's Jordan. You almost get, yeah. get the feeling that he still could.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just... So and, he's and, and that might also just be psychosomatic where it's just like we've seen someone yeah. be so successful oh, yeah. for so long that it's just like, well, shit. Like he's always going to yeah. be, but... Yeah. I prefer not. Yeah. I prefer not to see him shoot a basketball ever again and just completely freeze frame on his last moment against the Jazz, hitting exactly. that shot. That's where his season ended for me. Second act break. We're here. Wow. Okay. We're we here now. we here now. We played we PRS1, Step Into a World um, in the first <laughs> yeah. act. Um, okay. okay. Is there anything that comes to mind now? Cigars. Let's think what we're... Cigars. cigars
1: cigars cigar mm-hmm. cutter cutting off the tips of one's fingers
2: tips of one's toes tips of tips one's, one's nose have one's we ever nose. played have we ever played the whole song have we ever played colby clatt whole version of <laughs> tips of my toes tips of my nose i
1: don't Is think we so have- i only think it clips yes. over which we sang. I don't think we've actually heard the, the genuine article.
2: So what do you say we listen to the genuine <laughs> genuine article real quick? One of the yeah. theme song of the No Joke podcast, Colby Collapsed. I don't know if it's called, <laughs> or oh, think it's called Bubbly. think it's called Bubbly. Yeah. We like to call it Please. tips of My Toes, Tips of My Nose. But <laughs> uh, well, let's listen to Colby's yeah. anthem, and we'll be right back with more No Joke.
4: Will you count me in? For a while now You got me feeling like a child now Cause every time I see your bubbly face I get the tingles in a silly place It starts in my toes and I crinkle my nose Wherever it goes I always know that you make me smile Please stay for a while now Just take your time wherever you go falling on my windowpane, but we are hiding in a safer place, undercover staying safe and warm, you give me feelings that I adore, they start in my toes, make me crinkle my nose, wherever it goes, I always know, that you make me smile, please stay for a while now, just take your time, wherever to my toes makes me crinkle my nose wherever it goes i always know that you make me smile please stay for a while now just take your time wherever you go Like a child now. Cause every time you hold me in your arms, I'm comfortable enough to feel your warmth it starts in my soul, and I lose all control. When you kiss my nose, the feeling shows. Just you make me smile, baby. Just take your time now, holding me tight.
1: Welcome back to the No Joe Podcast. That was the song Bubbly by Colby Collat, or if you want to be correct, Colby, I think maybe Calay, but mm. regardless, she's bubbly. I like to imagine
2: myself back in my New York days when I was growing up in New York um, in a car. Yep. Let's say that I was driving through the city. You know, just feeling yeah. cool, feeling like hard, windowed down. I mean, none of this actually yeah. happened in my youth, but I'm just like kind of just pretending all of this, driving I'm through Harlem, it, yeah. and you're just yeah. bumping KRS One. And when like the beat for KRS One Step into the World drops, like you just, oh. it's you head knock. You just feel yourself. Well, totally. you've been playing now very loud, bumping through Harlem, bumping through the Bronx, just like throwing up peace signs to people. And then Colby Collapse Bubbly <laughs> came up. With- <laughs> Your car, the energy of your car would be radically different.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like there's no, those two circles do not overlap in a Venn diagram. There is no shared, no shared qualities between KRS1 and Colby Klatt. Well,
2: that's they don't, where I they, would push they, back at them because there is one shared quality, and that shared quality
1: is the No joke podcast. Exactly. Episode 220 The Last Dance. That's what yes. they share.
2: Um, Adam, we have we have many a voicemail in the, voice memo and voicemail in the yeah. no joke email box. However, I really am enjoying kind of going down this lazy river of the last oh, yeah. dance. So what do you say? Oh, we, yeah. we kind of put those in our back pocket and we hit them all in the next episode or we do a bonus episode coming up soon. Love and that. We kind of keep rocking Love with it. the last dance for the third act. Love so it. So here's some here's you, something. With... Please hit me. All right. I'll lead you go next. Um, Great. Were, were there any um, cameos People who spoke, or any sort of moment, specifically a person moment, where you're like, "I need more of that guy," or "I need more of that person."
1: Let me. I have a couple Uh, answers.
2: personally. yes, tell me. So I'll lead with I'll lead with two two different groups of people, and maybe that'll inspire yours. One, John Harper. I needed more yeah, than Ron hilarious. Harper.
1: He's hilarious.
2: Ron Harper had oh. an absolutely awesome moment where uh, he was still on the Cavs. This is pre-Bulls Ron Harper, Michael Jordan's yes. uh, teammate years later, where yes. Michael Jordan hits the infamous shot over Craig Elo. Everybody <laughs> yeah. knows the shot. Everybody knows how Michael Jordan reacts. We all yep. did it in our driveway growing up. Yep. However, Ron Harper was on the Cavs at the time, and Ron Harper said to his coach, let me guard Mike on this final play. And Coach said, nah, Elo's going to do it. And then they cut to Ron (laughs) Harper, and he just said something along the lines of like, all right, I was just like, fuck it, or something like that. And that was the only Ron Harper moment we got. This man shared a backcourt with Michael Jordan. He won three rings with the Bulls. And the only moment we got from Ron Harper was him (laughs) just being like, all right, I guess Elo's going to get the one who gets burned. Yeah,
1: you know, that <laughs> was it. Ron Harper was like a low-key linchpin of that of that team. Like, the bull, and again, Mike, and that is like directly shout out to Jerry Krause. It's like that second three-peat team was assembled in such a way where like their defense, their defense was so good. I think that was like brought up in the doc. How it was like, mm. sure, their offensive prowess, Jordan can score 50 at any time, all that, but like the key to that team, particularly, I mean, both of the three-peat teams, but particularly the second one was when everyone was a little bit older and like the, the, had lost a little bit of the, just the youthful spring in their step is that they were so good at defense. i like, oh, my God. And yeah. Ron Har- Chuck- Harper, Rodman, Pippen, Jordan were like four of the best defenders in the league, and they were four-fifths of the starting lineup. So like, that that's was definitely that's
2: That was definitely yeah. an enlightening. Uh, I did not know that the Utah Jazz managed to score 54 points against Oy! the Bulls. Oi,
1: I forgot that about was,
2: that one. Because that was like record-breaking. Like that was the lowest point scored in an NBA game or something along those lines. Oh. Like it totally transcended just like you got stopped. It was like you didn't <laughs> score at all. So Ron yeah. Harper, Ron Harper Ron definitely Harper. gets one for me. And then the yes. second, um, Mike's Kids. When Mike's oh, yeah. Kids cameoed in like the second to last or last episode where they were talking about That's how the fans it. in Utah yeah. – are just like really aggressive and their mom wouldn't let them go to the Utah games. And in our house, we learned to hate Utah jazz. They were, they were so handsome. All of his kids were so handsome and interesting and seemed So just their style was so unique. I was like, teach me more about Mike's loins. Like I want to know know, who
3: Mike (laughs) produced. (laughs) And like the only thing I learned about
2: Mike's kids was that they didn't like the Utah jazz, but I was like, who are you, kids? Like, you, this is so amazing. Like, talk to me about your experience. Did not make Final Cut. The
1: the absence of his family, for the mo- generally, from the documentary, still was, like, to me, sort of was a nod to Michael Jordan as revealing as this doc is and, like, as sort of, like, I don't know, lo- looser, as loose as he's being with his own sort of image. He still controls what's said and what's not said. Like, he is still, to some degree, he is still kind of the master of his own narrative in a way that is just, uh, I don't know, that is...
2: And shouldn't that be all of our goals as human beings, to try and control how we are perceived to a certain extent, and not just let someone just tell our story for us?
1: Perhaps, I mean, again, I do think that to a degree he was like, I think being famous, again, like this is no great revelatory thought here, but like being famous is in its own way, like, Traumatic. I know that sounds a little silly, but like you you look at, but like it's traumatic to lose your. Um, I mean Barack Obama has talked about this a lot and like you look at someone like Britney Spears as like the worst possible version of a famous person of like the worst effect of, of fame on a person let's say but like mm-hmm. I mean Barack Obama people have asked him like what do you miss and he's just like anonymity I mean like you loo- you do lose I mean to to sort of forfeit all of your privacy and all of your anonymity is like that is the devil's bargain that's the Faustian bargain that you're making by becoming one of the famousest people in the world forever which has its own obviously perks and is amazing but again it's like uh, be careful what you wish for he's you know it's like like you were saying like he's trapped in a hotel room he can only be friends with the five security guards he's known since he was okay side note what about his best friend george that random guy like who is that guy
2: who is that the, the guy oh wait you're talking about the guy who kind of looked like maybe a little hungover or just had like that like tired face to him
0: who is, is that? That's Michael
2: like, Jordan's best friend? Yeah. <laughs> like, Yo, and also, simultaneously, how hard did he have to work to get the lower third to say <laughs> yeah. slash best friend? Friend. I was just like 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 you are my best friend, Adam. But like if you if someone did a documentary about me, I wonder if it would say Adam lustick and then underneath it best friend. <laughs> like that's just like a hard thing to put in a lower third or a chiron. Yeah. Like that feels like it's but who is he? And I who liked him he? a lot. I kept me too. I kept every time he spoke, I was like, I'm impressed again with his insightfulness. I like know. I kept like he had a sleepy face, but he was very insightful.
1: Very insightful, and it, like it just speaks to this Jordan thing of like, and I guess maybe a lot of famous people do this, and like you know, but you just like keep the people that have been around you pre-fame close, and like those are the oh, only people sure. that you can quote unquote trust. And you hear right. this all the time, and famous people of all different avenues, like you know, in music or or acting or sports or whatever. It's just like there is a loyalty thing of like once you get so big and famous, it's you become a. a understandably, there's a paranoia, I think, that creeps in about what people want from you, what of people course. need from you, what their true intentions are. So you totally, I completely understand that. Um, and it's just funny that athletes nowadays in social media, it's a different tenor of fame it's Mm. like it is about um being extra revealing and there is less of a taboo about sharing your personal thoughts feelings photos of your family videos of taco tuesday with your nieces and nephews like that's more part of celebrity an accepted part of celebrity now but michael jordan just didn't grow up in that time
2: and it's interesting how social media and this feels like well-tread territory for people who listen to basketball podcasts but how the Bulls six championships in eight years probably couldn't have happened in the age of social media.
0: It's oh, yeah. just it's
2: just it's just too combustible now. You know, first of all, players like Dennis Rodman simply couldn't exist in the same way. They yeah, they uh... couldn't go to Vegas for a weekend in the age of social media. It just doesn't <laughs> exist that way. You know, it's like um and just like the infighting that would just come out, oh, you yeah. know, so much of so much of what made the Bulls, you know, tick was Mike being, you know. A quote-unquote bully during practice, right. but like ultimately it led to the results. But you know, social media, all that kind of stuff. So they kind of had the what would you call it? Even just like the the luck or just the advantage of time that, having place. everything back oh, exactly to uh, time and place.
1: There, right. there was an, there was an article in the Sunday Times uh, in the business section about the Last Dance, and it was about how Michael Jordan's leadership style as like a business leader. Uh, about how like you know in the '90s it was acceptable, but now ref- looking at the way that that he led his team, aka bullying, aka intimidation, aka degrading his teammates, is "quote unquote" not acceptable now. I mean, you know what I mean, mm. like the sort of a, the like. I, it, it, yeah, it I know be what you mean. Like-
2: yeah, I know what you mean. And I wonder if acceptable is such a loaded word. Oh, yeah. But like I'm a basketball player and I definitely try at times <laughs> to bark at teammates to motivate them, you know, and I, I definitely am of warring minds where it's like, how do you get the best out of your teammates and employees and players? Of course, there's right. a line that you cannot cross and, right. you know, there's personal lines right. and there are, you know, everything everyone is, yeah, of course, you know. But that being said, it's like, how do you motivate? How do you motivate while also like giving a soft touch? You know, it's a delicate line. And you really only have the benefit of getting to see how your motivation worked after it happened. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? You can't really judge while it's happening. So reflecting on it, it's like, was Michael a bully? Was Michael, did he cross lines? Sure. But like we said earlier, it's like, there's only 18 guys in the 90s who have videos of them with cigars in their mouths, pouring champagnes on their head.
1: Exactly. You know? And like when they talk about the Dream Team, like these Dream Team practices, they would go so hard at each other and there was so much shit talking and they were really like at each other's throats. But then after the after the practices, they were hanging out, drinking beers, playing cards, smoking cigars, and it was like he Michael Jordan was able – almost preternaturally able to compartmentalize and to be like, when I'm a competitor, I compete. But afterwards, like I'm a human being. I'm like, yes, I'm still competing. I'm still like, I still want to go to Atlantic City and I still want to like, part of so- my socializing is Competing and like gambling to a certain degree, but he wasn't. I don't know. Like, I guess he was. Maybe this is just an obvious thing, but he just actually wasn't as big of an asshole as I thought he was. Like that. That was sort of one of the the takeaways for me as a Michael Jordan uh, detractor from this doc. Was like he actually wasn't that big of a dick, to be honest. And you know know what? I
2: think I learned that same lesson, um, even on like a a wider scale. I don't think many of these guys were. I think their ability to hate each other on the court and then when the game is over just like kind of drop it to a certain extent i didn't really know to believe that but one thing that this uh series kind of showed was after mike would come off press conferences he would like walk behind the curtain and there would be the two players that he just beat sitting yeah. there, and yeah. they would shake hands they'd be like good game good game yeah. they would kind of yeah. acknowledge it for what it was you know after mike beat the jazz like carl came on the bus and shook hands yeah. i was just kind of taken with the Ability to separate yourself from the court and real life. Which yeah,
1: it was impressive. One um, one of the one of the many things that I forgot, like you were saying, like it jogged so many specific memories because, like, uh, a lot of the specifics of the Jordan era. I mean, like you know, twenty five years have passed. Like memory is 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 spotty. Uh, but just like, and I have forgotten that the Jazz only scored fifty four points. I'd forgotten that Scottie Pippen had such a bad back injury that last game. I'd forgotten mm-hmm. so much of the details. But another thing that I had forgotten, I had remembered that Dennis Rodman went to wrestle with hulk hogan but what i had not remembered is that it was in the middle of the final (laughs) what in the middle of the finals he just was like i'll be right back i'm gonna scan this except he didn't even say i'll be right back he just bounced what suddenly he
2: was chugging beers with the hulkster in the middle of the square ring
1: in between games two and three of the finals Right, like, he was oh,
2: sure throwing suplexes to modern wrestlers.
1: <laughs> that was that was really shocking. I was like, that uh, talk about something else that like just doesn't happen in 2020. I just right. don't think even like Draymond Green is getting the green light from Coach Steve Kerr to like go re- to go um, wrestle. No way.
2: <laughs> and I think that's Hilarious. kind of the age of social media. That just simply can't happen. The, yeah, you know, can't
1: that, do that. Like, yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah so we covered a lot of the last dance today Adam I mean like it's, it's yeah. a series that I'm going to be watching again it's just like oh, yeah, it was, it was so super fun and I reflect on one last thing that Michael Jordan said um, yes. and it kind of goes back to that one episode where they were asked do you feel like you sacrificed being liked right. to be a winner right. and I don't know if he said it but someone said it whereas like when 20 years pass and historians look back if you don't win any championships if you are supposed to be one of the greatest of all time and you don't win any championships people aren't going to say well he didn't win any championships because he was really nice to his teammates and they're not right. going to say like well they didn't win any championships but like they had a really happy locker room they're going to say no matter whether right. you were good or bad you lost and you couldn't do it so why not yep just get the most out of your teammates and the most out of your players while you're doing it and 20 years later when historians look back they can say it might not have been the easiest road to get there, but they left with six championships. And that's my story to me. And, you know, sometimes they say, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Well, this really showed us how the sausage was made. And I have that much yeah. more admiration and respect for Michael Jordan Same. Bowl after that.
1: So do I. So do yeah. I. So do I. So, so kudos amen.
2: to the also, team don't. who made it. Kudos to the Netflix oh, team yeah. that made it. It really kind of got you. It sounds like myself as well, through uh, a couple long oh, weeks yeah. of being quarantined. But, um, shout out to all them and uh it will be amazing. absolutely we're ready for more yeah <laughs> yeah we're ready for more um for so more? <laughs> the listeners of the no joke podcast we didn't get to any voice memos today but that only means that we are going to be doubling down on the next episode. With all, oh, yeah. yeah, with all of your uh, questions and concerns but adam great for episode 220 this was the last dance episode of the no joke podcast yes, sir. i Good am work. really scary
1: i'm adam lustig
2: And like always, we will talk to you next week.
0: That was a HeadGum Podcast.